good to see you, dude. It's, yeah. Um, been a while. Yeah, we seem to have just about got there technology-wise in the end. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a, we had a few uh, yeah bugs set up, but um, <laughs> we're we're all good now. Um, I'm pretty new to this. Do you know? Uh, so I've been so excited to get uh, get you, Joel, on the podcast because I met you very early on in my journey with um, XR. Uh, at a place called Rybank Fields. And for anyone who doesn't know, Rybank Fields is uh, a piece of land where um, MMU, Manchester Metropolitan University, want to destroy a lot of wildlife and build a lot of houses there for money. Uh, yeah, so Extinction Rebellion set up a camp to stop them. And I got involved, that's how I met, that's how I met you. Um, yeah. And uh, another thing about Joel is it was conversations with you that made me uh really want to start having a podcast because you had a lot of very interesting points to make and you know very well thought out and stuff as well so yeah i'll let you talk a bit now if you want well yeah it's uh it's weird um it's you you've you, you've packed a lot in since we met <laughs> right bank i mean that was what just like less than two years ago um i feel like i've had we've had quite like i was kind of coming out of my uh sort of couple of years of really intense activity at that point and you were just you, you were like diving in two-footed in a way that i've literally never never i've never known anyone else so like just sort of rock up and be like right who's doing a direct action i'm up for it <laughs> like <laughs> but yeah um it's a pretty amazing space, Rybank. I think so much... Uh, I don't know, maybe it's just Manchester as well. Like, so many people who've gone on to be some pretty, like, heavy hitters and really some of the most committed and, like, courageous people. Even if I don't... I've often not agreed... Or not, even if I've often not really shared their view on the value of the action they're doing, their kind of dedication and courage is absolutely, like off the charts and a lot of those people have come out of Manchester and Rybank and I think that, that, that's interesting to me um, I remember what we were talking about last time we had a really good conversation um, we were talking about a new system whereas we have to like, basically a new, a new system replacing the current capitalist system where the, where the richest people in the world control our politicians and our politicians are all bought out and um, we're all stuck with the hefty bills and inflation. Imagine a new world where you were making the argument where we could just, um, you know, make sure everyone's fed, get the food to the people, basically. Um, do you remember the conversation we were having? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it was the kind of conversation that I think a lot of people in the kind of... Um, XR and family <laughs> uh, world have, which is, well, and a lot of people in this sort of environmental uh, sphere have, which is this idea, whether, whether the, you know, this way of organizing society that we, uh, you know, is we call capitalism, whether that can be made ecological or whether it fundamentally is ecocidal like whether it's like by its very nature it is ecologically destructive because of the the specific um 
relations, like social relations that capitalism is kind of built around. Um, whether that whether that means we need like fundamental change to those relations to that. Can I can I, can I just pause you there for a second? Uh, and just want to add like it, it's a it's a problem if you're a tree that's been cut down and made into planks is worth more money than the tree that's been left alone. Like, and that's like a problem because like the tree that's left alone, it might not make you any money, but it, we kind of need it doing its thing. So um... absolutely, yeah. I think that's. I think that's. It's a really simple way of putting that idea, but it's actually also I think the one of the most effective. Like saying like capitalism, like GDP only values the forest once it's destroyed. Like, and if you and we're seeing this at the moment. This is you know I don't know if you've read much about kind of like um, this whole idea of natural capital. This 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 these. Um, moves that they're making to kind of monetize nature um there's a book i've got i've not read it yet called the value of a whale and it opens in fact not read it yet but uh even the first page is like some researchers basically did some calculations to work out the economic value of a blue whale and i can't remember what they oh no and they came to they, they worked out the value of the whole whale stock the world's whale stock. I can't remember. It's like a trillion dollars or something of all the. And this is this is capitalism's attempt to deal with its own ecocidal nature. Is being like, well, maybe if we work out the <laughs> the potential monetary huh. value of every tree and whale and fucking blade of grass, then we'll be able to market. Took like if you can turn everything that's alive into some sort of market calculation maybe then we won't destroy it and it's like that it's like more of the problem as the solution can you imagine like, can you imagine i've i've, always, I've got a, a, a solution i'm thinking of now can you imagine if we took say if we taxed like all the billionaires and all the things just if we got like all the money basically <laughs> and we made a new payment scheme so every time you planted a tree or uh, any any kind of plant that step that was taken in carbon from the atmosphere and storing it in soil, you would start to get a small payment, and companies would be allowed to plant shitloads of trees. But there did be some clauses like there has to, it can't be monocrop culture. It's got to be like a strong ecosystem, like mixed like with wildlife, and they get extra money for like if species start moving and stuff like that. And you make it so like you could, you could become rich by planting a rainforest. Imagine that. I, I get what you're saying there, and I can see why, I th you know, versions of kind of incentive structures to um, bring about, like, restoration as opposed to destruction, you know, that makes sense. But, again, I think the, the issue is that, like, if, if we are still within this paradigm where we have to, everything has to be done in a way that makes someone rich... There's always going to have to be something, like something new to exploit. Because eventually, maybe if like you've finished all the ecological restoration, there's going to have to be a new avenue of making profit. Then, and like there can never be stability, like there can never be equilibrium. And like it, like the the living ecology of the world, it's all about equilibrium. It's all about things being in balance. The nature of mm -hmm, capitalism mm -hmm. is that 
they can never be balanced because there's always got to be growth and it's again it's a simple like um like slogan but it's one that's really kind of it really you know stuck with me when i first heard the you know that saying of like growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of a cancer cell like if you talk to a biologist or a doctor and you talk about an entity that's infinitely growing inside a host that is called cancer that's what that is what is defined that's what defines cancer it's something that's just won't stop growing inside another body Mm. that is what capitalism is because you cannot have like it wasn't true of feudalism it wasn't true of like the ancient empires or slave societies they didn't require to expand every year more than like bigger than the year before the only well i think social yeah but just just to finish that but like the 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 first and only social formation in human history that requires to expand every single year year on year so that's exponential expansion because it's like if it's bigger this year and it's bigger next year than this year that's exponentially expanding yeah like you don't have to be like you can understand any anyone who understands cancer and a human body can understand that if you apply that same principle to industry on a planet that's not going to work like it doesn't like and, and there's no need for it to work because the only reason we pursue growth and again growth's a bit of a euphemism because growth's a biological term isn't it like we all understand trees grow plants grow that's good like you know a baby grows but like trees don't just not stop growing if a baby didn't stop growing we'd be like oh my god what, what's wrong with this baby <laughs> like it's only yeah. when you get into economics that we go no we're just it's just going to grow forever like well why would we want like and because that's because growth I, is a euphemism. I want to ask you a question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, want to, I, want to ask, I want to ask you a question. So this is quite a difficult question. I ask it quite a lot on this podcast. Um, if you was given, um, let's say, dictatorial power of the United Kingdom <laughs> from a, from a non-violent revolution and you could pick, like, I don't know, five projects that would be initiated in the country, what would they be? And you don't have to answer them all right now because it's going to be difficult. But just think of maybe the first one. That's that's funny. Someone asked me that question exactly that question. Like if you had, if you if if you were in charge, yeah, a couple of days ago, what would you do? And I gave an answer, and then she and then she followed up with, "Well, how would you do that?" It's like we well, didn't, didn't you didn't say I had to say how. <laughs> like <laughs> in the in the scenario, I've just got you know total executive power. And um, yeah, I think I think my answer to that is radical land reform like radical land reform in that if i somehow have like dictatorial power i'm taking yeah. every scrap of land off the the church the crown all the royals the old aristocrats because all the old aristocrats all the dukes and the barons and the earls and they've still got all the land <laughs> like since like <laughs> like the normal like since william the conqueror there's families who've still got land that they've had for hundreds of years and you know there's a bunch of corporations obviously but like it's amazing how much the land is still it's not even capitalist land ownership it's feudal land ownership i'm taking all that land off that tiny number of individuals who use it for ridiculous things like grouse hunting and i'm giving it to democratic community-led ecological restoration projects organic food growing projects all the kind of things eco housing projects and we take we take back the land 
and use it for all the ecological and social things that we need instead of it being the plaything of like this tiny number of like elite landowners who use it for all kinds of ridiculous stuff like that to me the number if you can get <laughs> i mean we should get obviously that's like it's kind of saying everything but like in britain particularly our land is still owned by like the king and the like it literally is like we're living in the middle ages and like i think unless you can change that because if you want to rewild if you want to do like actually like nature friendly food growing we need land and the barrier to all you know, these things is the fact that we don't control any of the land do not take it even a step further than that like um I would start building, uh, I would start converting just skyscrapers in the city of London and Manchester and every and warehouses all over cities, like just convert all these massive warehouses into indoor, vertical, vertically stacked, hydroponically fed, like food growing machines, basically like food growing warehouses. They've already they already exist. They basically they have like uh, robotic arms that fly around the rails and stuff with like cameras and sensors and like. Take the like takes care of like a whole like millions of plants. This like robot. Pretty yeah, cool. I mean, like, I don't think you can grow one everything. Like you can grow. You can't grow everything. You can grow. You can like... Take pressure off the land. So the idea would be to take pressure off the off the amount of food that we're growing on the land, so that land can then be like rewilded. Well, that we can do that. Like I, you like for like things like leafy greens, like hydroponics works well but if you're growing anything else like actual vegetables grains you need you need land um but yeah i think we should we should totally like explore like urban food growing like like you say these like all yeah. these buildings in london and manchester that have no social or ecological value or use at all there's so much potential for urban food production absolutely we should pursue that but also i think if you want to reduce land use like, I mean, we use, it's like 51% of the agricultural land in this country is used to grow animal feed. Over half <laughs> of the, so like, if you don't eat animals, yeah. you're like, you're already like reduced the land by 50%. Like, so it's, it's, it's madness. And like, there's 33 reckon, million sheep in this country. 33 million sheep. Do you reckon? I want to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, go on. Do you reckon if, if we got rid of, um, Let's say we, we get rid of like 90, 95% of all animal production, cattle, sheep, pigs in the UK, and we turn all that feed into a human edible uh, food with maybe a couple of vitamins and herbs and spices and shit added in and give it to, for free to every single uh, person like um, in the country. Well, yeah, like, I mean, imagine what, like, and I think this is, this is what I find really interesting talking to you because you're really interested in, in, you know, sci like scientific innovation and development and technology. And this is why I think, um, like thinking about marrying kind of the best, like the best kind of developments of, of, of technology with genuine, like economic democracy, because like, you know, like we, we produce enough food currently on this planet to feed about 10 billion people. There is no reason like logistic, like, like technologically, scientifically, there is no reason for one single person to be hungry. And there's millions of people starving to death still. 
Like there's people hungry in the UK. Of course, and there's loads of people who are they're not hungry, but they're malnourished. They're overweight. They're unhealthy because they're eating loads of calories, but the the quality of the food is absolutely dire because they're relatively poor for this country. So they're still they're buying they're having to buy the cheapest, lowest quality food. Like there is no reason, and this is this is the, my point about capitalism is it's. Uh, you know, there might there was a time, maybe arguably, where it was developing our productive capacity. It was, it was you know, it was, it was, for what, for various reasons, it was pushing technology forward. It is now massively, like, hindering our development because we're like because everything has to go through this prism of making private profits, paying dividends to shareholders. Like, instead of being like, imagine we just had like a, a supercomputer that had like all the information of like all the food being produced in the world at any one time, which, you know, maybe that's a bit mad, but like, you know, some supercomputer. It's not that mad. No, no, it's not, is it? Like, and it knows where all the people are and then people are going to be like, oh, what if it turns evil? But like, you know, like, because it's just logistics. It's just going like, we've got some wheat here. We've got people here. We've got to get the wheat to the people. It's just organization. But capitalism doesn't allow us to do rational planning of our resources because it's all about, making money and destroying surplus like you've seen the things about amazon like destroying like pr products still in their packets because the way you keep the value of a product up you don't want too much of it you don't want supply to exceed demand because then the value of your you know product's going to drop to zero so we destroy excess food we destroy like excess electronics I know, that we make but, oh. Listen, I've I've been I've been liberating some of this uh, food that's been destroyed. Um, Good. Uh, yeah. Because it's but yours. That's it technically is. stealing, like legally. Well, uh, well, technically that never happened. You know, it's all um, hearsay. You know, mate, you've got you've got um, bigger fish to fry than like bin diving. I think. I, and, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, listen. Um, what you, was just, what you was just saying then, you was talking about a supercomputer being able to organise food production for humans. Here's a crazy thought, like, what if we did, in fact, one day build an AI and entrusted it with running our society? And just, like, it has to be built properly. <laughs> and it could be hacked, so it probably not going to, like, it'd probably have to be, like, some next level, I don't even know. I'm not a computer scientist. Um... But it's a possibility. One day. Well, my my favorite um, favorite author, Ian Banks, uh, is most popular. Well, my is Culture series, uh, which looks at this kind of super high tech, post scarcity kind of anarchist, communist future society. But they wouldn't use those labels. Um, they have these like godlike artificial intelligences. They call minds, who basically run the society. And like it's like the, the humans are just basically just all just like living very long lives of sophisticated hedonism, and all their needs are met. And like the, the interesting bit of the stories is because when they have contact with other civilizations who are like less advanced, they try and steer them in a progressive direction, and that's when it gets pretty interesting and you know morally you know mm. complicated. But like, yeah, like I don't know, like I we it's like our only visions of. Um, like synthetic consciousness or like evil like it's a matrix or terminator or like we only ever see well, them as just... like scary things whereas like if we built them to be like completely compassionate and then i suppose that's the story of irobot because it's like 
then they'll try and control us for our own good. But then maybe they should. Because <laughs> we're not doing a very good job That's, of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I watched, uh, I watched the iRobot, I watched iRobot like a, a few months ago I was in, in prison and I sat there thinking, well, actually, they're kind of right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe I'm like, they... <laughs> is anyone else really sympathizing with the computer here? Because like humans are doing a really bad job of governing their own affairs. <laughs> like, But like, I don't know, like... Um, I, a book I'd really recommend, um, Ursula Le Guin's uh, The Dispossessed, which is about anarchists on a moon. Um, and they have they have a, the Div Lab computer, the like, dividing labour computer, that just assigns people jobs. Like, it, it knows what people's skills are and, like, qualifications, and it just, like, basically tells people, right, you've got to go and do this job. And everyone's everyone agrees to abide by it, because, like... Well, what if someone doesn't? Huh? But if someone doesn't agree to abide by it, what if someone says, no, I'm not working today? Well, then I guess, one. like, I mean, which obviously they can do, but, like, being part of the society, you're brought up to completely believe in the principles of, of mutual aid and solidarity. And the only way the society functions is everyone is willing to contribute. And if you're not, yeah, you'll be kind of ostracised and, like, you know, people think you're a bit of a dickhead. Um, but, like, that's what you're not forced to. But if you want to be part of a society that doesn't have rulers then it actually involves working quite hard and like doing a lot of meetings. This is the thing, like people are like, oh, anarchy, it's all chaos. Now, anarchy has to be like the most organized thing in the world. Like if you don't want to have people in charge, you have to have about 20 meetings a day <laughs> because you've got to get things so organized. Um, and I think that's yeah, like, well... you know, when you have a you system think, with like um... a lot of hierarchy, you can have a lot of chaos as mm. well. Well, do you think uh, absolute power uh, always corrupts? I don't think you have to have absolute power. I think any power corrupts. <laughs> I think any power over your fellow human being is a corrupting thing. So, yeah, absolute power corrupts absolutely, as they say. So, but, so um, what about if, uh, if, if you were given power, do you think you would be, you would be corrupted? Yeah, because I'm very imperfect and all those little spites and resentments and jealousies and things would still be there. And then suddenly if I'm free to act on them without consequences, like even the best person in the world has an unpleasant side. And if that unpleasant side is kind of free to... And I, I'm, you know, I'm not... I, I don't consider myself an anarchist. I don't think the way to building a communist world is necessarily without using power. Like, I think the power of the state is, especially given how catastrophically urgent the climate and ecological, like, breakdown situation is, I think we're going to have to try and use the power of the state. Um, how we take over the state is the big question. <laughs> and how we do it in a way that doesn't get so corrupted, we end up just doing the same horrible things. I say we. I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> like, I don't think me and you well, are going to do that. I don't be know. Like, <laughs> I, I'll, be, I'll definitely be there with a megaphone. I won't be, like, using violence or anything, but I'll definitely be climbed up a tree somewhere, like, hanging out of a tree with a megaphone <laughs> and giving it a good rant and uh, maybe getting some footage. But I think this is this is the thing, is, like, how... And I think this is what, with a lot of the kind of JSO kind of stuff, 
it's still really framed around like demanding something. It's, it's better than asking. It is demanding. Demanding that the current institutions of power like do something good and like i'm not sure how i don't know i, I find it a bit of a paradox really because i still I've think i've got we... a question Go on. so i read a book when i was in prison uh by um i can't remember what she's called now she was um she was a, a, a black female activist uh, from the 1960s and she's done Angela a lot Davis? of since but yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> um, and in her book about uh, power, she said says something like, "You can't, you can't be, you can't ask for power. You can only take it. You can, you have to take power. You can't, you can't ask for it. You just got to take it." And that, that that's really. I've sat there in prison looking at that, and I'm thinking that's kind of deep. Imagine if, like, we recruited so many people in just a pile or Extinction Rebellion, and we started going arresting oil executives at the, at the plane <laughs> and walking them out and putting them in vans, and then taking them to an Extinction Rebellion um, people's uh, revolutionary nice tribunal. prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even if I mean, even, even if the police even if the police bust in later on and like arrest you all, like it'd be the most beautiful action anyway because. Like, I, I I really like that idea because that's what I think. That's the only like constructive engagement I want to see with uh, Shell and BP executives is them facing some revolutionary justice at the hands of the people who are the, have been the most harmed by their crimes. Like I'm not interested in talking to them about anything. I think we need to build the power to destroy them and make them face accountability for. Well, pushing humanity to the edge of like civilizational collapse. Like, there's been, there's no, no one in history has done anything more evil than what fossil fuel executives are currently doing right now. Like, oh my god, that's a that's a line. Well, it, it's true, isn't it? Like, like no one in history has, f just for the most crude reasons, like just to keep a bit, uh, just, just hold on to their wealth and power just for a few more years they are moving us closer to like destroying the conditions of organized human life on this planet like i mean it's you know famous noam chomsky quote like the the word evil doesn't cover it like it really doesn't like and it's weird when we talk about like oh what would you have done if you could have like shot hitler like we're not really having the like and I'm not I'm not advocating for political violence, um, mainly because you're going to put this on the internet. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's like, not. I'm, and I'm like, not, like, by the way, I'm not advocating for, for violence either. Uh, but it's going to. But this is the thing: the violence isn't going to come from us. It's not going to come from white people. You know, relatively like you know, middle class people in the imperial core in the global north who have a lot to lose. And I, you know, you are an incredibly, incredibly courageous you know, self-sacrificing individual, I said, but like, but the, you know, there's people around the world who are going to, who are already seeing their entire family, people, nation, culture, way of life, fucking wiped out by ecological breakdown. They are going to, the, the, the few of them who understand, like, even if it's a few of them who really understand who is to, who is responsible for that, like, at some point, some people are going to want some serious payback 
for what's been done to them. And it's not, they're not, and it's not going to be non-violent. And like those CEOs and like political leaders, they're going to have big targets on their heads because like there's going to be a lot of people around the world who've lost everything and maybe all they want is revenge. Maybe they don't even care about like making the world any better. Maybe all they want is to hit back at the people who have taken everything from them. And that's like, I think that's just an inevitability. Like if you're talking about island nations disappearing under the sea, there's going to be young people on those island nations who maybe all they've got left is wanting to get back at the people who they understand are the most responsible for that. Maybe, yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty deep way of looking at it, to be honest. Well, well, what happens when India becomes like, it, it, when India and Pakistan becomes too, too hot and too dry and you've got like, a, what, a billion people heading like north and they'd probably be heading into Afghanistan and that, that direction. Like, I mean, the, le the level of... Stable. And what I think is really interesting, because we, 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 we talk a lot, a lot about, you know, right-wing climate denial. But like, I just heard earlier today when I was... I was Listen to something or reading something. Suella Braverman, when she was justifying the, you know, horrendous, you know, despicable, like, anti-refugee policies that she's pushing, she specifically referenced 100 million climate refugees being on the horizon. Like, these, like, proto-neo-fascist, you know... Is it all right to swear? <laughs> Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. You know, these proto-neo-fascist fucks, <laughs> they do understand what's coming down the road. Like, they, they're they not, like, there is a lot of denial. There's a lot of them who is absolutely batshit insane. But, like, I don't know if you saw, um, what's it called? Aaron Bastani on Navarro Mina did an did a interview with this really awful right-wing, like, intellectual. Like which a lot of people think he think he shouldn't have done, and I don't I don't think he should really have spoken to him. But like, this guy also referenced you know you know pushing this kind of like ethno nationalist kind of bullshit. He referenced the millions and millions of climate refugees that are on the horizon, and like these nationalist types who are wanting to like put machine guns on the beaches and on the like you know walls up on all the borders. They do understand the chaos and the carnage that is coming. And they might pretend they don't when they're like, oh, no, it's fine. More oil is fine. Oh, it's just the loony left being all... Bleh. Like, but they're there putting the barbed wire on the border because they, they get, they do actually know. I think, that... I, think, I think they're also building more prisons for uh, people who decide to rebel. 100%. I mean, they're literally I mean, they're building mega... Have you seen the mega prison they're building up in Yorkshire? And they're saying it's going to be the first, like, eco-prison because it's going to have, like... Oh, it's gonna be an eco prison. It's gonna be an eco prison. Yeah, literally. Fucking eco, <laughs> well, literally. Yeah, I mean, it's like I don't know if you can even call it irony. I don't even know what it is, but like, yeah, but that's exactly right. Like, that it's not a coincidence they're building these prisons. Like, they know that society is gonna start getting a lot less stable and a lot less like people are already like how much people are struggling now. There's like we keep calling like cost of living crisis. As if it's just this like temporary thing. I don't think that's ever going away now. Like, the chaos is only gonna get more and more intense. 
Imagine, right, listen, um, the police were... Now, this, I could get fucked for this in the future. I, I, by the way, I need to make it clear to everybody that I'm not, in, I'm not planning anything. I'm not involved in any planning or organisation to do with any organisations, period. I just run this podcast, and I like to run my mouth sometimes and think <laughs> of ideas. Good disclaimer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was just thinking, like, the police were, like, yellow high-vis uh, uniforms, so imagine if, like, uh, the XR police wore orange. Like pretty similar uniforms, but like bright orange. It's like I don't know. Like yeah, um, I, I don't. I, I don't think we should model like some the... sort of militia on the police. <laughs> but well, it, 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 wearing high vis makes perfect sense. It's why people wear it on the road. It's why the police wear it in uniform. But it might as well be the opposite high vis. You know what I mean? The orange one. Yeah, I think more maybe sort of less visible uh, colours might be useful for some activities, but um, yeah. Yeah, some activities. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you, <laughs> I saw you so telling your um, your story of like when you were you and some you know you mate were <laughs> like on the run, <laughs> like trying to get into an oil terminal, like. Honestly, I think it's so valuable that you're sharing these stories because, like, we need to inject this, like, more militancy and more, like, confrontational attitudes into, like, I think, British politics because, like, whether you, like, you know, you don't have to think that, like, JSO have got the right approach or, like, you don't have to like XR, but, like, what what XR and JSO, have, have, you know, the like have done is just, like, we can't, there's got to be confrontation, like, and I think, and I think we're seeing that more now with this massive wave of like strikes and like industrial action, like, like ordinary working class people, you know, peasants, indi indigenous people, we're not gonna get to a, a sustainable world by asking the capitalist class, asking the ruling classes to give it to us, like it's going to be through struggle mm. and confrontation and building power until we can like you say take power not ask for it like and not even like demand it take it take the power from them because like the rishi sunaks and boris johnson's and keir starmer's of the world are not going to do but they're not going to do anything like they're not going to do like like maybe they'll be like oh we're doing some like whatever they do it's going to be distraction bullshit and I don't have any answers for like how we build that power other than collaborating more, working together more and understanding that a lot of the quite different looking struggles are actually really connected. I think that's understanding that we actually need to fight together and back each other up more, maybe even when we're fighting on different fronts. Like that's got to be the... Do you know what you said about... Yes, I love that. I, won't... I, won't... I love that point. And I'm going to... Tell you about um, when I was in prison, I came up with an idea for a new organization called One People, One Planet. And the idea would be that it would have the demands of every worthy cause that activists are fighting for. Um, the, you know, the, the Flat Earth Society are, are not, not really going to be invited. Um, <laughs> the COVID people, the, the, the vaccine people won't be invited. Um, but like Animal Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, uh, Extinction Re Rebellion, Just a Pile, you know, whoever you are, 
you're fighting for a worthy cause, you're fighting for nature, the idea would be like, none of us go home until we've all had our demands met. Say like they, they, they meet like 90% of the demands, but there's like a 10%, like two organizations left that haven't had their demands met, then nobody is going home. I mean, I think um, that is that is the kind of that is the kind of attitude we need, which is yeah, that like just understanding that like when you're fighting against this kind of planet strangling death machine, there's so many different ways it expresses that destructiveness, and there's lots of different ways that people are resisting it, and like it might not look like it like a glance but we are really are fight, like fight part of the same struggle but it, that needs to be more than just words because it's easy to mm. say like oh no yeah no, what one you know like we've got to materially support each other and find ways of like linking up and i think that's the main thing because like currently we're all losing like racism in this country is gonna get worse like poverty in this country is gonna get worse like homophobia and transphobia are gonna get worse like Ecological destruction is going to get worse. All these things are going to get worse until we can start pushing back the other way. And yeah, I I think that's a really, I mean, again, I I think, I do think like ultimately we've got to go past this idea of even having demands. Like we've got to be thinking about like, almost like, like your question, like what would you do if you like the, but like what kind of society do we, do we want to build? And then how do we actually get to the point where we have the power to build it? We don't, we're not asking, we're not demanding. We're, we, you know, the democratic participation of the, the mass of the population is actually getting involved with like, what kind of society do we want to have and how do we build it together? Like rather than like... What if, what if a group of people came together many thousands, maybe hundred thousand in, in the, in the, in, in the name of a new declaration being signed. So like everyone who's, if we get like all the groups together and you write a fucking declaration that's got all their demands in it, like an actual declaration, like a country's declaration, like a government's declaration. It's a pe- it's a people's declaration. And that is law within this new uh, within its own realm, which is the people who are in it. And well, do you just take, well, that's, yeah, it's quite a, com- a complex idea, but you want to say something? I mean, that's the kind of, like, yeah, I think and that's the kind of visionary, like, we, we, the kind of thinking we need is, like, almost like imagine if you were starting from scratch. I mean, I've, not, I've still not actually read much of it myself, but, like, um, what year was it? Is it Bolivia? What year was it? I can't remember what year it is. The Co- was it called the Cochabamba People's Agreement was that kind of thing. It was a load of nations from almost entirely from the global south getting together. Um a kind of like a like a kind of counter to the sort of you know, the G seven and the G twenty and all those kind of like cops, like all the powerful nations getting together just to like talk and do nothing or do bad shit. Um, and they, they've written a document that kind of lays out these kind of universal, genuine universal human rights and like rights of the non-human living world. And like, it's a really good, like, this is kind of what they did. And like on an international level of like what kind of world, what kind of, you know, um, 
rights and like um like what what kind of um system do we want to actually have and i think that kind of thing is is what we need to be thinking about because as long as we're kind of our imaginations are kind of constrained by where we are right now we're mm. not gonna we're like it's, it's not gonna work like what what are the solution what are the solutions to the climate crisis in the current thing under, in, under this current paradigm it's um biofuel so like you know destroying every last sec like scrap of like ecology on the world to grow biofuels and they do becks you know ca carbon capture and storage like the, the 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 solutions the tech solutions that they've got are more like ecologically destructive than just carrying on with oil <laughs> like this this system cannot lead us out of this and like we're gonna have to like somehow and and, it, and and it's easy to say these things like it seems impossible like I, you know if i'm driving around manchester you know delivering few bags of organic vegetables looking at the dozens of tower blocks they're building corporate offices and luxury flats millions of tons of concrete and steel all going up and it's all utterly utterly pointless i'm looking at that and thinking what can we do how can we fight this how can we fight this this monster that's just it's just so massive and so powerful but at the end of the day it's only powerful because we're all participating in it and like all the construction workers who are getting paid shitty wages to build these shitty tower blocks like construction workers actually get paid uh pretty decently actually no and i know a lot of construction workers get paid pretty well <laughs> but like a lot of them also don't and like it destroys their bodies for what they do get paid <laughs> but like yeah, do you know what i mean though like imagine and i have this thought and it's what still gives me like a sort of shred of hope looking at all these tower blocks going up all over salford like gentrifying the whole of salford half of manchester in one big push building these pointless flat blocks that are just for like young yuppie corporate types who'll then move out to the countryside when they've made a bunch of money working for some shitty company imagine if all those resources imagine if all that human labor and like ingenuity and like logistical organizing imagine if that was just going to transforming manchester into a truly ecological like socially like vibrant sea instead of if all that concrete and steel and you know human labor going to building these pointless corporate office you know complexes imagine instead it was just like right we are now going to like we're gonna have fully renewable energy in manchester within two years like and we're gonna throw like we could do it but it's just because do it. but because because it's got to be like because there's, there's money to be made in building these stupid blocks of flats so that's what they're doing because because i wanted to manchester right so like you can there's a big main road, all the big main roads going down to Manchester. They're all at least two two lanes, two wide lanes, and some of them are even four lanes wide. Like I would change, I I would literally, uh, like as, as wide as you can go, right up to the property line, just take out all the concrete and all the steel and clear it all, take it all back. So you just got a big dirt black line, and then you'd create like probably. A probably maybe a, a single one lane of traffic, or maybe two, maybe two lanes of traffic, just for like, like enough to get like a, a truck down or something like that for delivery, and then 
then it would be tons of greenery, so trees planted all the way down the outside to create like a green tunnel, and then trees planted down the middle as well to separate the cars from the cyclists and the pedestrians around them both sides. A bit like uh, a bit like they do in Amsterdam or, or in um, not Amsterdam, sorry, in uh, Madrid, no Barcelona. Barcelona, I do a pretty yeah, good yeah, job yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, imagine imagine if you imagine if instead of driving to work. In a, in a traffic jam, you were cycling down a cycle green, a cycle safety route with greenery all around you and the sounds of the birds and much less air pollution. Think about the think about the benefits it would have to the NHS, for one, carbon emissions two, and well, your 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 wallet three. Yeah, no, completely. And this is the kind of thing. These are the kind of policies we can fight for now, like. And this is why, you know, I think like I think we need a completely I don't think it's possible to have an ecological society based around, you know, private control of land resources and industry and the use for them for private profits. But we can fight for things like that. Like we can fight for a better transport system right now. And like like you say, the cities around the world that have a much better system of public transport and active transport than we can even imagine. Like Two percent of commuters cycle in Manchester. Two percent, and like, because we've got no cycle lanes, and it's a fucking death trap if you're on like Great Ancoat Street <laughs> or like, it's ridiculous. And it's it like, is, it's, it? it's 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 it should be an international embarrassment to be seen as like, oh, we're a global city, but like, try and cycle in it, and you might die. <laughs> like that is that should be we should be ashamed <laughs> of that. Like it's pathetic. And like the council are not interested in because like cycling there's not a lot of money in cycling. There's a lot of money in buying, fueling, insuring, taxing, and fueling and fueling and fueling and fueling and replacing cars. Like there's so much money by like big auto and big oil are making there. Like whereas on your little bike, not a lot of money to be made there. Better in every way. Better for you. Better for the city. Better for the healthcare system. But not as much money to be made from it. So like so we get the we get the big money but like horrible outcomes option and that's why like we've got to fight to change that the basis of you know our our, our our economy at the same time but like we should also be demanding cycle lanes right now and trams we've had trams for over a hundred years like you can this yeah. is and this annoys me now. like I'm working as a delivery driver so like put climate cli the destruction of the you know climate system of the whole planet aside. All the people dying from air pollution, put that to one side. As a delivery driver, I'm getting annoyed because you, there's still every Tom, Dick, Ed and Harry is driving their personal, and there's so many of them SUVs, through the very centre of Manchester. Like, you should not be driving a personal car through the absolute centre, centre of Manchester. That is madness. Like, what? Like yeah, okay, maybe delivery vehicles we still need access to for now until we change that. But, like... The, the fact that you can get in your you can get in your Range Rover and drive to like basically park up in Piccadilly Gardens, like that is we've not made. Yeah, well, do you know do you know what they do is uh, they get a fine. They get they get like a thirty pound fine or fifty pound fine. But some of these people are so rich they're like, yeah, I'll just pay the fifty pound fine and yeah. park it right there. The place where I drop off at where the People's History Museum is. There's a bit there that's like a loading bay. There's people in these like fancy cars, just clearly parking the loading bay, and they probably get they probably get a fine every day. But if you're rich enough, 
Why would you care? You can park wherever you want with your, you know, ridiculous, like, tank-like car. Like, and it's just, like, it's so unimaginative. And it's so, like, like, I always think of you as someone who thinks a lot about, you know, kind of, like, things being kind of rational and, like, making, like, logistically efficient. Like, everyone driving their own car is about as inefficient as anything you can imagine. Like, everyone's going home the same way. Why are they not on an electrified tram? Like... Why is everyone sat in, like, a little, like, a ton of steel on their own <laughs> when they could be on one train altogether on a set of tracks? Like, it's so, so inefficient. And this is why electric cars are the biggest, like, con, I think, that's going. Like, the idea that, like, electrifying a billion cars is the solution to, like, ecological destruction. It's like, are you, are you joking? Like, we've got trains and buses We've had them for like centuries to like use them. <laughs> it's not complicated, yeah. really. <laughs> well, we need, we still, I think we need electric buses and electric. Uh, so I've got I had an idea for a solution. Imagine if, let's say, let's say in the city of Manchester, um, they banned 99% of all single car use, and the only exception you could have to have a car was if you were literally disabled and you you needed it to get to somewhere and you can't so you can't ride a bike um and then everybody else so you'd have like a, imagine so everybody gets free cycle lessons and uh discounted bikes like communal bikes that get like given to them like and there's communal bikes locked up everywhere they can just get them out and use them wherever you want and you know abundant amount of bikes for the city and then you do wait for most of the cars and then do what I told you about, with, uh, said before about making big green tunnels out of trees all the way down every single major road and doing away with all the roads because you can have like, I don't know, let's, let's say you can have like one single lane of traffic on its own, isolated, on what, like, and then the rest of it's green, cycling and walking. You could even try and plan it out to get biodiversity like within the actual green belt. Like try and figure out how to get the most biodiversity in that in that space. Yeah, I mean, um, like imagine if we actually had like people planning our cities, who actually also had like the power to make stuff happen, like who had this really like radical. Like imagine what cities could be like if they weren't built around Primark and Starbucks making money. They were built around what do the people of Manchester? How do we make the lives of the people of Manchester? as like amazing as possible and as ecologically efficient and like like we like we're trying to reduce our ecological damage to the minimum level and we're trying to make sure that living in this city is fantastic like and well i'd add one more thing to that to that what i was saying imagine electric buses that are regular free and have spaces for bikes on them so, like, you take your bike on the bus, on the electric bus, up the hill for free, and then get off to the top of the hill and then ride the rest of your journey. Because that is annoying. You can't take your bike on the tram at the moment. And uh, if you could, and that's something I think they need to experiment with, is, like, having, like, a, a happy bike hour when you can take your bike on the tram. Because then you could get you could get all around Manchester. You could zip around. If you could combine bike travel and, like, light rail travel... You're zipping around and like yeah like you say it's yeah. way too expensive it's like a fiver every time you get the tram we need to be and we like it's cool that the buses are now two pounds instead of like six pounds but like 
we need to be thinking about like these are public services they're essential public services and like how we've thought about like the nhs i think we've got to expand that thinking to be like we need a national a transport like a national health service national transport service these are all things that like they shouldn't be commodities they shouldn't the profiteers need to be taken completely out of them because these are things we need and we need to provide them for everyone as efficiently as possible there cannot be a middleman squeezing money out of them they've got to be like it's about the service and the users and the, the like people working like the the rail workers and the rail users there's no sort of then like rail company going could we sort of like just make loads of money out of this somehow like no fuck off <laughs> like there's the people like actually running the rail system and there's people using the rail system and that's it <laughs> and that's how you actually well, achieve like problem, efficient results i think no the problem with that is like say if you create it would it be run by the government because like history has shown that sometimes governments run things way worse than corporations when has history shown that <laughs> <laughs> well, look at look at look at look at just like road maintenance and and works and things you have to get done and um, well, you've put me on the spot now. It was actually <laughs> um, I think I think it was the the telegraph lines that were going up over America and it was a government led scheme and the capitalist came along and basically applied to let him put up the lines instead and he, I can't remember any names. So you have to. Re I'm not going to be able to fact check this either. So, but basically, uh, he just he just put the lines up a lot faster than the government were doing because the government had to go through so much red tape and and bureaucracy. But I mean, the, but, uh, yeah, that's, the, the bureaucracy that's... and red tape is stuff we create or don't create. Like, I, I think this idea that like, I mean, if you just if you think about how many corp how many companies fail and go bankrupt versus how many governments collapse. It, but then I'm not. I don't think that the current system, the current system of like states and governments, is all about serving the interests of capitalists. Like, like our democracy, yeah, our, our politicians are basically just like lapdogs of, of of massive corporations. So like, if we imagine what, um, you know, if a state is ultimately just like trying to organise collective interests, if we had like real like democratic participation, real democratic like like really democratized everything like it actually had people participating in that and i think that's got to, that's got to start at the local level because like like you say like yeah having a big like state bureaucracy running something from far away that's not going to most efficient way of doing that like manchester tram system should be run by the people of manchester for the people of manchester not having like a random french like state company holding a massive stake in it like like this is the thing. the current system means that there's people who can live on the other side of the planet who've never set foot in your city can own the guy who owns man city he owns half of manchester now like what that what like why are you even allowed to own the city that we live in like why is it not we owned by all of us collectively who live here like it's because it's not a complicated idea it's like the people who work in an industry should run the industry People who rely on an industry should have a say in how that industry is run. Like, if your only interest in the British rail system is sucking money out of it, then you've got no, you know, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be a million miles. And like, the, the rail system is a good example. Like, it's being run into the ground. The government are being forced to nationalise parts of it because the companies running it are just falling apart. And like, because there's some things that aren't good for making money out of. Like, and you know, Whereas, you know, there's some things that are such a racket, like the water system. 
Like the, the fact that they're making the private like interest making money out of the fact that we need to drink water. Like <laughs> like Yeah. Especially when you live in Manchester and yeah, not rain for a while, but like when it falls out of the sky quite as often and you're still having to pay hundreds of pounds to some to pad the pocket of some shareholders who live God knows where. Like so you can get water sent to you by put people working in that system, like the you know like bless them, the people who do work round the clock to make sure that we've got clean drinking water and our shit gets washed away. <laughs> like they are doing yeah. very important work. And like but then there's these people like sucking sucking the you know, the wealth out of it. And like they shouldn't be involved. Like we don't need them. We need the people. We need we know you know, we need human labour and we need resources and we've got them. We don't need these people sucking like, you know, the vampires like sucking the wealth out of what we're creating hey joel uh i wanted to ask you so i wanted to ask you a question about this right so i've uh since i've been to prison and since i've 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 been out i've been doing some reading and i've been reading about uh the russian revolution there's two of them you know not 1905 and 1917 and then the aftermath of 1917 i've been reading about that as well and just to explain to anyone, because before let was explain before I picked up this book, I thought of um, capitalism and communism. And when I thought of communism, I thought of the USSR and China. Um, but what I learned from these books was the meaning of communism is not those two countries do not represent communism in any way but name. Like the meaning of communism is is what we're talking about now. It's it's for the for the people, by the people, controlled by the people. And in the Western world, we've been driven to hate that word communism and think that the other pick up by the capitalists, by the people who run everything. But, um, you know, I think communism, the name communism has lost its word and socialism. I think we need a new name for it, uh, if I'm being honest. But um, it's, bit, it's effectively the same thing. But my question ultimately is this, right? So after reading, I don't know how much you how how well read you are on the history of what happened in 1917 not, in not Russia. Not very no? at all, so, you know, yeah. All right, well, I'll give you the basic gist of it. Like, they had their revolution, the people had their revolution, and threw the capitalists out of the country, took all the factories, took all the houses, took all the money, took all the land, took everything, and executed the royal family. Right? So, like, they'd done it. <laughs> uh, uh, and... The person who, like, one of the, a very influential person, like, who was Lenin in, in the in the movement, he started to get opposition in his own party against his 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 position as a leader, and instead of like saying, "Okay, let's just keep run this as a democracy," he decided to build power and crush his enemies, and that that continued until the point where he was mass murdering people and uh, executing people in death camps and and one example i did read about this in this book which was this is a real thing that happened in the soviet union like 19 between 1917 and 1925 there were thousands and like tens of thousands of women in a city that decided that decided to go on a strike together and uh, they were going on a strike to demand that they had get one day a week off work and they wanted to have sunday off work uh, every sun, every Sunday off work, and that was their demand. The state sent the Red Army in, 
arrested about 10,000 of them, put 8,000 of them into, into gulags, forced labor camps, and executed 2,000 of them without trial. Like, the kind of things I read in this book were horrific, and it makes me scared because we talk about creating a revolution, but my question to you now is, how do we stop history from repeating itself by one or two madmen taking over and hijacking a revolution? Um, I have been giving a lot of thought to this myself. I think whoever controls the army controls the country, so you need to think about the army and who runs it, your generals. I mean that's sort of like the big the, the biggest question, um, but and also like I I feel like I need to learn so much more. Like I was only listening, I was like I've been learning more about the Chinese revolution and and Mao and like I still I've I've, I've still I've learned I barely anything about the Russian revolution and like but yeah like the, that collapse into the brutality of Stalinism and like the actual like crushing of actual socialists like the people who are actually like still like fighting for real socialism were then like crushed they, by were, they were murdered yeah and like the soviet union became kind of violently anti-socialist in in within and without its borders a lot of the time i still think it it achieved a lot of good things like most things in the world that you know have you know often been a mix of really bad and some good but like I think that is the I, I, what I what, one thing I've thought a lot about when I've been thinking about this and like like I, like I say I, I am still very ignorant of history and political theory I'm still trying to do my best to learn I think we all need to be trying to learn as much as we can about the attempts to build a truly like democratic society because um, that's all communism is it's trying to actually make democracy mean something it's just saying like until everything is democratic until industry and land and production is democratic democracy means nothing. Um, one thing that I think gives me kind of hope for how we could try and do it better in the future or in the present is the technology we now have. Like we have the like digital telecommunication technology where you can communicate with someone on every point of the earth in real time. Like that would have been unimaginable in 1917. Like Russia is a big ass country. <laughs> like trying to actually like like maintain like control of that in you know you've got counter-revolutionary forces and like you can you can see why even very principled people who had really idealistic and genuine like i like ideals and visions of building a truly communist like you know a, a society like free of like exploitation and how you could so quickly go like no no but if we want to keep this revolution going we've got to hold on to power so we've got to crush our, like anyone yeah. who opposes well, us like you can see how that could happen to people who started off with genuine and like i know i, I don't know you know a huge like but i still i see lenin as someone who was genuinely motivated by trying to make the world better um but he started killing people though well lots of people, like, people. Like, like i mean i think if, he, if lenin hadn't died i think maybe like he said, he, one of the things he said before he died was like, don't let Stalin take over because that guy's like a bastard. <laughs> like, But that's what happened. And then it got really nasty. And like, and I think we've got to try I was, and... I mean, I was reading some dark things about Lenin in, uh, in that yeah, book. Well, I'm not, like, not, not going to... Yeah, like, it, was, it was not like... I, 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 apparently he did some pretty bad shit. Like... I'm sure he did. Like, But also you've got to think about who, like where you... What perspective the person writing history is coming from. Um, hmm. But yeah, but I think that question of how do we avoid that is like, like, and 
it's got to be that's why it's got to be genuinely grassroots democratic participation like i don't i don't believe in this idea of like a small number of people seizing power because it's just not without that and like to be fair in the russian revolution and the chinese revolution there were millions of people involved but like their power was then like squashed and it ended up being like back to that system of a tiny number of like bureaucrats you know bureaucrats replaced capitalists and became the new ruling class and like i do think now that we've got this like amazing technology of the internet like the you can like have a you could have a vote that like you know this is why our, our systems of democracy and voting are so like insanely like archaic but like you could have a vote with like a few like you know 60 million people like like that like you just all go on to like whatever the you know platform is and you know you try to decide what to do about an issue in your territory so you go right everyone go and like log on and let's have a like let's decide this and like that was yeah. not a, that was that was not like even imaginable like a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago or even 40 years ago like whereas the the ability we now have and the, that's what's so tragic about the fact that the internet's actually creating so much misinformation like all this climate denial and like conspiracism and like that's just helping ruling class interests like the internet should be the most amazing like tool of like liberation and progress but instead it's like well it can be that it still can be that but like it's also being used to just like spread misinformation in a more even more toxic way than like the newspapers and the tv stations manage because it used to be the case that if they were trying to propagandize you it would only work when you were reading the paper or watching the tv now you've got your phone with facebook on every minute of every day and you've got these particularly older people looking at all this shit and just rotting their brain and like this is why like it really does don't critical thinking like being able to like and you, you i really really respect this about you because you really you are genuinely interested in the world you're fascinated by it and you want to learn about it and you're willing to like look at stuff and think about it and read about it and like that is the it's that openness and that urge to learn and develop that that's the number one thing if people have that you don't really need to that's all they need like the, all the information is out there if you've genuine if you're curious and you're interested and you're like not a psychopath <laughs> like you'll mm -hmm. work you'll work a lot of this stuff out for yourself like i think we've both done it like i didn't have any political upbringing at all like i have you know my parents didn't vote until they were like in their 50s till like the first year i voted like i had no political background whatsoever but i was brought up to believe you have to care about people and you can't be selfish and then i had to figure politics out for myself <laughs> can i um just stop me there for one second and just check that your recording's still going. I'm like, was in uh, my on audio your, recording. On your phone. Yeah, your audio recording, yeah. Just check it's still, it's still going, yeah? It is, it is, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, mine's too, so. Uh, we'll continue <laughs> again. Uh, what, one second, what, what was I going to say now? Um, Shay, what was the last thing you just said then? Uh... Uh, political, just l political education, like the internet is this tool for like, like learning and communicating and how like we just need, you need to have that urge to, you need to have a, a little bit of critical thinking capacity 
and that's all you really need. Oh yeah, and I can remember I was going to tell you. Now I remember I was going to tell you. Um, so basically, before I became aware of the climate crisis, I was still very interested in learning those kinds of things. And one of the things that I did learn was that a very small percentage of people on this planet control everything. They control all the central banks, all the media, all the corporations and all the money and our democracies as well. I became aware of this like probably 2012, 2013. And I, was, I knew that climate change is a problem, but I didn't really, I didn't really understood it properly. But I, used, I, I was watching the price of uh, solar power fall like on, a, on a graph versus like the price of uh, fossil fuels. And I thought, oh, well, no problem. It's just gonna, the problem is going to sort itself out. I don't have to worry about this. Eventually, the price of solar power will drop so cheap that the capitalists will have to change to fossil fuel, uh, change to thing. But no, it turns out uh, the government, the capitalists are in bed with your government, and the government pay the fossil fuel industry. Was it like twenty odd million pounds per day, um, just like subsidising that form of producing energy to make keep it make it compete? Uh, they they basically artificially. Uh, changing the, the the energy market um, mm -hmm. and putting electric electric uh, clean energy electric production at a disadvantage. Um, like imagine if they put all those profits into green energy and they made it so energy companies could make a killing making genuine green energy. They could make more money on them that than they could do making oil. Then I I think the the system could just switch. You know to I don't know I, I I'm. It's kind of, it's, it has to be like a modified version of capitalism where there's no greed. But, uh, but that's, not, that's not possible. In the cap there has to be, like, you can't have steady state. And this is, this is the issue. When you say genuinely green energy, solar panels aren't made from, like, sunlight. They're made from, like, a, a load of mined materials that, like, yeah. none of those mines are in Britain. Those mines are in other parts of the world, and those mines are devastating for the local ecologies. Like and I know that is you can't replace oil power with solar power, and it all just be the same. No, no, no. I'll, I can tell you what I want to replace oil, oil and gas power with uh, tidal, uh, tidal hydropower. I want to, uh, I want us to build out like um, massive, massive like it's. So if, for one, there's a type of concrete that's being created that uses carbon dioxide as an ingredient, so therefore it's carbon negative to produce. So for one, mass produce a shit ton of that and then build out these dams going out to sea that could that like trap like huge amounts of water in them, but like the height of them stops below the so like with the tides all the way in, the the top of the dams is like below it, so fish can. So in a high tide, all the fish and life, wildlife can swim over the dam and get out into another area. Um, but when the tide goes out and the water level comes down past the dam, the, water, the tide goes out and you've got miles of cubic metres of water uh, with a different height, which then would power turbines. And you can make it, when the tide comes back in and the water level's down, then you've got a difference in height and the water changes direction and turns the turbines the opposite direction and produces power. So it would be um, continuous, all 24-7 hours, 24, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, um, power. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like, the, the prospect of tidal power seems like really exciting. 
as a reliable because you know the whole thing about oh it's not always sunny it's not always windy the tide goes in and out every day until the moon falls out of the sky the tides are very reliable um so i think it that's really it? like yeah really exciting but again like i think we've got to have we've got to you know talk about and this is the same conversation it's just in different words about you know when we talk about capitalism like degrowth like the energy used in like places like the usa canada australia and obviously britain but the us canada australia being like off the charts like the energy they use the materials they use is just insane and like that has to like one way or another that's got to be reduced like and but at the same time everyone's lives can get better because like you say if you're not stuck in traffic every day after work instead you just whiz home on a super fast train that's better your life is better you're not using as much energy because you're not driving a massive car with just one person in but like your life is better the quality of your life improves and this is why we've got, i think ultimately we've got to try and break with capitalism because it, like we can improve people's lives but in ways in ways that make less profit and as long as we're like shackled and constrained by that need to grow profits we can't actually focus on making people's lives better in the most efficient ways and like because like that title like but once like like tidal power you know say you build that tidal barrage you've built it who's then like who owns it then because like oil companies you know what's that f the famous quote from the big guy from bp saying like you know, you know being in oil is like just having like a money printing machine like you've constantly got to extract it you've constantly got to refine it you've constantly got to transport it like there's always more money to be made with oil like if you've built a tidal barrage and then it's just sat there like you don't have that constant need producing to like, power yeah yeah constantly producing power but like like that could so much more easily be owned by like the city that's like just insure from it like there's not that opportunity for constantly making more money constantly like opening new extraction because you've built it and then it just produces power for years and you don't have to do like do you know what i mean like with oil because yeah. it's always running out you always need more you always need new wells like there's always that opportunity for more extraction more expansion more profit like for, for like some of these really efficient like wind and wave power you build it and it's just going to produce power for years and like there's there's no like room for like constantly there's a, there's a there's a step up from that by the way so most of the biodiversity of life in the ocean is by the cushot by the coast so actually yeah. it'd be better to go out to the where the wind wind turbines are where there's less fish and less animals living near the the the, the coast and build in a big massive dam around all the windmills and then have the same effect happen, but out at sea, huh. and then t and then add that energy into the power the windmills are producing as well. See, that's and there's but, such like exciting like ideas for like what we can do. And but I think you know we've got a like you say like like all of these things do have an ecological cost, and like um, again, that's why like we've got to be thinking about how to be more efficient, so use less energy but with better results. Like, and I think a lot of these, like, if you make these combinations of wind and solar and tidal and also just more efficient, like, if you, like, imagine, like, you replace, like, a thousand cars with one train, like, how much you've reduced the overall energy you, 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 you're you using there is it's massive. Yeah. Like, and that's not anyone, like, you know, like, this, this, is this, they try and, like, 
you know, there's so much propaganda around the idea of degrowth. Like, oh, it's making everyone poor. It's making everyone go back and live in caves. It's like, no, no, it's saying, like, let's do things efficiently. Like, let's actually be like, what do people need and how do we get that to them? Like, that's what it's about. It's about saying, like, right, people need healthcare. Let's, like, organise healthcare. People need transport. Let's organise transport. Rather than being like, let's let a load of companies who ultimately just exist to make money. What if, hang on, what if, right? You get to take a coastal city like uh, like Brighton, and you start a community pot where you gather up a lot of money from every, uh, like people. And so we're going to build a tidal barrage, and then we're going to build it out at sea as well, and that's going to produce so many mega kilowatts, so like millions of kilowatts, um, and that will be enough to power, say, let's say the power the schools and the hospital. And a, the tra- and a new, the new tram line that we're going to build that goes all throughout the, throughout the city, like and then the excess power will just make everybody's bills cheaper. I mean that's exact. I mean to be fair, there's something not quite as uh, you know ambitious as that. But in Manchester at the moment, they're, they're running a community shares campaign. Uh, I saw someone from Friends of the Earth share it. I think um, to 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 build a solar array on a school, and I can't remember where it is. It'll be like community owned, and like I think these these are these are really important things because this is how we take back, this is how we start to build our power, democratic power, like in contrast to capitalist power, real democratic power. We pool our resources and we build some infrastructure that we all need, and it's community owned, and like we can do that now, like and I think we need Hang more. On, I've more got of that. I've got... What if, right? Hear me out. We get a community. We get a community warehouse together, right? Where we're growing indoor vertical farming, and like like on a, on a bigger scale, we can maybe outside, but no indoor indoor vertical hydroponics, like but but managed by people, not by robots. It's like not super complicated, <laughs> and there's um machines that you're going to need it's basically a machine that's been invented um it's basically a glorified dehumidifier and it can pull about eight liters of water out of desert air when it's turned on it's about the size of a little coffee table it's got a sun solar panel built into it so i imagine if you had a couple of those as well on your warehouse producing the power for your hydroponics and you could build a center that provided free food and drinking water to the local community in the area that you know to to help feed everybody and give everyone water and then that would be kind of once people don't have to you know they're not thing is you have to replace every service that the government provides to the people to make the government not matter anymore i think that and i think that is but i'm like you know i don't know exactly what i think about like the role of the state going for, like if you can truly democratize it if it's always going to be exploitative and oppressive like like something like the nhs something like healthcare i think it makes sense to organize a healthcare system partly a kind of wide well, maybe national like national like you know what what is a fucking nation state but like but then it also makes sense to make it really local as well because then you actually it's focused on the local people's like you're always going to have specific health issues and things like that, and social issues that are like specific to your local area. So it makes sense to have as much of that local like knowledge and expertise as possible running shit. So like, yeah, I, I like, I think these these ideas of like community energy, community food production, 
these are like this is something that i think it's it, it, there's so much value in people putting energy and resources into this i really like i think that because not just because of like the immediate benefits but because i think this is how we collectively build our social power to take more power yeah, to I, do I, the big I, stuff. I want to say something about this um about, I've read reading about this Russian revolution. Mm. That that what you just explained then is how it started. Every town had a Soviet, and that Soviet uh, was a people's council to decide how things are run in that town. Mm. And the people who ran in the Soviet and had power, temporary power, got no special treatment and no extra money. They were paid the same wage as a working man, and they and they changed them every so often and. They had Soviets, and it, it, different regions had different Soviets, and they're all centralized power. Uh, that's yeah. how it started. So, like, I mean, uh, that, but that... what happened was, yeah, well, right. one of the things that happened was, is can you imagine being like the ruling elite in like Germany and the UK and France, and you look over to, to the east and you see the ruling elite in Russia get murdered? I know, there's lands taken and a pe full blown people's revolution that just takes all that, like, like your, your cousin's land, you know what I mean? They're all dead and now, you've, now they've, you know, the people have got control of the country. They, they literally put a blockade, they put a trade embargo on the, on, and this is in the middle of World War I as well as Russia. Like, they're out, currently at war yeah. with, with Russia anyway. Uh, so, so that all the world's governments like stopped like trading with Russia to let the people like starve out the revolution, do you know what I mean? Because yeah, they wanted yeah. to fail. And it did have a major effect, like people were struggling and starving and then they, 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 they meddled in the, con well, they were the outside powers were meddling within the rev support and the whole thing got, um, got lost basically because uh, it got corrupted and the original revolution was gone. And all the people who tried to create a new revolution afterwards, like they got murdered as like counter revolutionaries, like because they believed that the leaders had betrayed the original, the original morals of the revolution. Those people got murdered. Who said that? Yeah. Uh, a lot of them got murdered. Uh, anyway, you were saying. Yeah, no, off. no, and I think that's really, and I think that you know, they're the, the, the saying all power to the Soviets, which was then immediately, like, well pretty immediately completely gone back on because but that but that is the solution isn't it? like those and i think xr has focused on that like that that was a really positive thing from the start like focusing on the idea of citizens assemblies people's assemblies um people working on like trying to learn lessons from like the the kurdistan freedom movement and you know in, in northern syria like rojava and um, their kind of multi-level council model like really like local grassroots democratic like involvement like the people trying to you know implement the lessons from corporation jackson in jackson mississippi that's so much like around this like these like local people's councils like the only way you're going to get people to like get involved and like make you know put their time and effort and energy into something is if they're involved in it and they have a say in it and they can participate in it. And if people, like, we're so disempowered, people like, you know, that's why, you know, if I, I think you're such a you know, fascinating person because you've, you've, you've kind of really grasped your own power as an individual to, like, do stuff. And, like, as a society generally, we are so completely disempowered. People don't believe they can control anything, mm. like, even their own life. People just feel like they're completely powerless because they are a lot of the time. Like, you, and you're meant to be, like, you know... Thatcher broke the trade unions that was working class, like organized power kind of like destroyed in this country for generations. And like, 
if people can believe that they can actually take their own destiny into their hands, like their hands of the fam, their, them and their family and their community, if they can start believing that, then they can really start to change stuff. And it's just making people, it's helping people discover that that is true, that we actually do have power to do stuff. And like that's why I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, JSO and XR have done, that to me is a large part of the value of it. It's showing that you can defy very powerful people if you're just willing to do it. And you can actually, you can send out ripples and waves, like just by being willing to stick your neck out. And like, I think that is a very powerful message. And that's why they're so keen to twist the message and warp it and suppress it and like, you know, demonize people in every way possible because the last thing the powerful. Can I say, you know, people one thing want... you just said about. Can I say uh, yeah, 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 about. Yeah. Uh, you said about ripples. You don't know how far your ripples can go. Like, this is something really deep that I realized. Like, um, like. When you, when you do an action, for example, and you're doing a restable action, or you sit in the road, or you see you smash Barclays windows, or do something like that, you get in the news, maybe a, maybe a few million people see it, and then you, it's like a big wave like of people that have, that have been influenced by your decision to do something, and then if that, cha if that makes the slightest change in any of their decision-making or what they think about in that day, that ra that wave continues on through them and everybody they come into contact with. And really, we don't know how far the, the ripples of our actions will go. Um, I'm sure that's been said in a film some, somewhere, but it's the truth. You know, like, Interlake Britain, for example, right? 140 people repeatedly sat in the road uh, in, and blocked the M25 motorway, uh, willing to go to prison. Like... And we grew persistently went back. From that, uh, a movements all over the world have stepped up out of Extinction Rebellion and their local groups and they created several different groups all around the world for each countries, blocking motorways and copying the same tactics. So we don't know. And then everyone who they are going to influence as well. So really, an individual can have a lot of power. Like, um, if you're, even if you can't be arrested, like, I know people who just support people who are in action. For example, like, if you, I don't know, let's say you're retired with a big house, but you can't really take action because of whatever reason, and there's actions happening in, in your city, you could host you could host a couple of climate activists and let them stay in your, in your house because they're probably broken. They've got nothing at the minute, and it'd really <laughs> help them out. Um, yeah. yeah. Lots of things you could, you, you know. But, uh, yeah, about ripples. You don't know how far your ripples can go. No, totally. And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not super keen on the sort of <laughs> A22 Halamist network of uh, organizations uh, and those particular ripples. But like, I do, like, we live in such uncertain and like fluid, like, the world's so complicated. Like, we, c we can never really know what the impact is going to be of what we do. And like, I do think you're right that like, I, I, I yeah, I think. A small number of people can, you know, have some influence, but like ultimately we do need huge numbers of people getting much more involved, much more organized. If we're going to, if we're taking on such massive vested power, we need, the only thing we've really got is mass people power. And that's what we've got to tap into. And I do think that's why I think like, you know, JSO actions where people have gone and like attacked the front of like, um, 
Tufton Street and like News Corp. That's what I want to see. Like, like if you're willing to be, you know, if you want to do something really courageous, like go and stick it to the people who, you know, who deserve it. Like, because like that, I think that speaks to people on a on a really powerful level, and like it does inspire people. You see people doing stuff that you've never thought about doing, and you suddenly think it does. Like you say, maybe it just changes your mindset a little bit. And then you see something else and change it a little bit and then it all adds up and who knows where it ends. And like, we've just all got to keep pushing. Can I tell you what I want to do in the future now? I've got an idea. <laughs> Go on. So, um, in Scotland currently, they have different laws to the UK, um, different legal system. Uh, all these nasty laws they're bringing in now mainly does take effect in England. Um, I'd like to, if it's, if just a pile start doing like oil silo occupations again in Scotland, like I will, I'd like to join them and take all my recording stuff with me and just do a record <laughs> like some pod, like record like several hours of podcasts like on the pipe work over the inside the oil terminal, <laughs> like and then get arrested afterwards. I <laughs> uh, I mean that is what I think that is that that would be true frontline journalism that is the i think that is the kind of thing we need to see more of is blurring this line between people doing their media and people doing uh you know protest and act you know other forms of action like i, th I think the more those things are brought together and those lines are blurred i think that's i i, I want to see that <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too um, me too um shall we uh is this a good place to to wrap things up yeah if it's com if it's if it's convenient for you yeah we've had we've been going for quite a while actually um, i'm just conscious that usually... i'm like who who on earth what would have to be wrong with someone to listen to us to talk for listen, this long if, you, if you're <laughs> listen if you're available to keep going i would like to keep going um because people listen to podcasts in the background they don't sit and watch the video they just put it on whilst they're driving or whilst they're I mean, that is working, that, that is like what I do when I'm listening to them. Um, well, I'm conscious that I need to wash myself and eat a bit <laughs> before yes, tomorrow. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But but I'm happy. Um, but like, yeah, no. If you want to ask, if you, if there's like, yeah, you know. Um, all right. Well, how about uh, just tell me um, what what would be your final words then for the podcast? Your <laughs> advice to everyone, my all, all 65 of my subscribers and uh, all future people. Um, I don't know. What do you have any final? Like, I guess, I guess. Oh uh, well, go on. I, I think if I had to try and think about what, what, like, single, you know, and it's ridiculous trying to melt it down, but what I think, I just we just need to see more and more of is this fusion of red and green, to put it like that way, like class struggle and climate struggle need to be exactly the same thing and we need to have more and more people understanding that if you if you have any interest in advocating for like working class people you need to be like very climate conscious like really climate conscious and if you have an interest in trying to fight for climate action and climate justice you need to understand that that is a class war <laughs> Because there's a there's a class of people yeah. who are benefiting from climate destruction, and then there's the majority of the world who are going to pay for it, and like we need to understand where these battle lines are, and 
we've got this terrible situation currently in this country where we've got unions like GMB who are still pushing for like fracking and like Unite pushing for like Heathrow expansion. And we can't have that. We need to, we need radical climate conscious you know, activists to take over these unions because we need trade unions to be like fighting and radical, but we need them to be leading the way on climate, like and ecological stuff, not pushing in the wrong direction. Like that is, that is disastrous. Um, and we yeah. also need climate activists to realize that this is about class war. This is about class struggle and understand what that means and understand. And we all need to be working together to work out how the hell we do this. <laughs> Cause like, that no one's got the answers and i think anyone who says they have got the answers is pulling you know is 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 you know taking the piss a bit because we're trying to work this out together because it is totally unknown how we try and get to the world we need to get to but we're only going to do it by and this is why i appreciate you so much constantly learning and communicating with each other and cross-pollinating those ideas and like and fighting together like that is the only yeah. way um and it's, it's 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 very easy to say it's incredibly difficult to do in reality <laughs> like th we put three of us in a room and we can't agree for more than about two minutes so like <laughs> it's the hardest thing in the world but we've got to try and do it what do you think about uh podcasting for a medium for activism then I think it's really, really important. I, th I think what you're doing here is brilliant. And like, it's what, you know, I've been trying to do. I just can never stick with anything or consistently do anything ever. Um, I think we need more, like, you know, the media is the biggest, they control what people think. <laughs> it's the biggest barrier to radical, the radical consciousness, class consciousness and climate consciousness that we need. Like, so the more like independent, small, like truly independent, like people who've got experience of doing, the, so few people have done the kind of things you've done, like in the past couple of years. And like having those conversations and talking to people who maybe don't agree, you know, who do believe in trying to transform the world and like address climate breakdown, but maybe they've got a very different perspective on what you've been doing. You having a conversation with them and them talking, you know, and then understanding where you're coming from. That's what we need to have. And this, these, these, this is really important. I think it's incredibly valuable what you're doing. And I hope, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I hope you keep doing this. <laughs> and I hope there's lots more of these episodes. <laughs> well, I'm going to, if I get sent to prison tomorrow, I'm going to keep interviewing people. So I'm going to be ringing people from prison. Uh, I'm sorry to all the listeners. Uh, if the audio quality suddenly drops, like for the next episode, <laughs> you know why. <laughs> Anyway, I think we'll leave it at that. Well, um, I also just want to say, like, I have such a massive respect for your integrity and your just not your 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 unwillingness to bow the knee to the 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 legal system of the capitalist state. Because, uh, yeah, I really respect that. I think that is really impressive to just be like, now nah, fuck you, <laughs> like. <laughs> like that's, you know, like it's, it's, it's a bit crazy you, but it's, it's I, it, I, I respect it <laughs> thing is it's, it doesn't come from like um, a, a tactical logical thought out plan it comes as like a more of a, an emotional response I know like, that's what I, I respect feel, like, I feel I feel so betrayed by our government like I have there's children in this world not, not my children but there are children in this world that I absolutely love and adore and I know that their future is being sold out by the very minute. 
and it, it's it, it cuts particularly deep because when I realise like I I'm actually one of the people fighting for it and I'm surrounded by people who don't have a, have a clue and it's it's yeah. kind of like the 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 feeling I explore like taking this action it it kind of like feels like it feels like you're standing in in a in a house upstairs uh, with with all your friends and family and everyone you love and everyone you know and everyone you've ever heard of like in a and you go downstairs to the kitchen and there's a massive raging a massive raging fire and it's licking up the side of the the stairs and it's gonna be coming up the stairs pretty soon so you run upstairs. And you get you got pictures of the fire. You you know you're running screaming about the fire, and everyone just says, "Be quiet," and what Corey's on? Or I'm not. I'll, no, we 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 you know for whatever reason, they just don't want to listen to you. And that's it. If you if you if you're listening now, and you put yourself in a situation. There's a fire downstairs. You're trying to get your family out, and they won't listen to you. You would be on your knees, crying to them, trying to drag them out through the front door, like. You would, you like, you would, and if they refuse, if you couldn't move them, you would, you'd, you'd, you'd break you, like it'd break you massively, and you'd, you'd know that everyone in that room is about to die, and they, they haven't even realised it yet, and yeah, so that's a, a way that I, a way that I feel about it, yeah. so, yeah, well. And I just think a lot of people kind of have that understanding on some level, but so few people still put it into genuinely are willing to sacrifice their own well-being, and that's the thing that makes you know. And I think that there's like you do that you know saying about ripples. I think it's you are sending out very even if I don't agree with all you know all the tactics and a lot of the, the thinking and like whatever like the just the fact that people are willing to confront this reality and act courageously and self-sacrificingly in the face of it, that has so much power and that communicates something to people. You know, even if it's not, if it's only a small subset of people who are seeing that and understanding it, that is communicating something more powerfully than anything else can. And I think that's really important that, you know, we're all trying to do. I think the people it affects the most is when you've got like someone who's not arrestable, who's supporting arrestables, and they're doing things like driving them to drop them off at oil silos and hosting them in the homes and really getting to know these people who are doing this, and you know, really being to respect and, and love these people. And then when one of those people goes to prison, it leaves a hole and the actions aren't happening. And all these non arrestables are stood around looking at the hole, and one of them goes, fuck it, and jumps in it and does the first arrestable action. <laughs> Uh, so I think it has that kind of effect on people. Yeah, no, it, I mean it is it, like yeah, the 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 propaganda of the deed is uh, very powerful, and I think especially in Britain where we're so depoliticized and de-radicalized and consciousness is so low, I think injecting a bit of that confrontational action is so important, and like it does, people are like inspired by it, and yeah, who knows where it'll end. <laughs> Okay, well, um, thank you for coming on. Um, well, thank you, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, you. By the way, you're welcome to come on again anytime. Um, you don't just have to do one episode. Nice. And um, I, we're going to sign off right there. See you. Let's see you later. Bye.